justice, Savior to all, came to rescue the weak and the poor, chose to serve and not be served. We kicked off last Sunday uh, a series that we're going to pursue throughout uh, these next six weeks, which uh, takes us through the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. So uh, I got things started last week, and we'll hear in a moment a uh, reading from the second chapter of Ephesians. Uh, as, uh, so this is one kind of fertile ground that we might uh, find some uh, discussion questions in. Uh, I, I talked last uh, Sunday about some of the recurring themes in, in Ephesians. Heavenly places uh, is one of those that recurs throughout. Uh, we touched on the sort of deep theological construct of predestination, which came up uh, several times in that reading. Uh, no questions about predestination. <laughs> yeah, please. I'm just kidding. That's fine <laughs> if uh, that's where you want to go. Uh, uh, but we'll uh, so that so that's one area uh, that's that's uh, in play around here at Prince of Peace during these summer months. Uh, in the message, I also referred to and played a video clip from uh, Star Tribune article uh, now a couple weeks ago, uh, where they uh, focused on the closing of LaSalle Lutheran Church in LaSalle, Minnesota. But that that was just used as an example of a of a pervasive trend across the country of mainline uh, congregations struggling, uh, declining, and ultimately closing. And one of the uh, striking, alarming statistics uh, for those of us in the faith community that was shared in that article was the prediction based on prevailing statistical trends that within the period of the next 20 years, 20 there will be half as many congregations open in the United States as there are today. So that is just mind-blowing uh, in its impact and uh, uh, something to think about. So there may be uh, questions related to that uh, discussion, which is a kind of an ongoing uh, discussion that we have around here. So there, there is the Ephesians passage, the, the kind of issues surrounding the expression of, of the local congregation in today's world. And then the third sort of fertile ground uh, for discussion may well be the, the, the book. Uh, uh, what is it again? <laughs> Everything happens, Everything for, happens a for a reason. And Thank other you. lies I've loved. Yes. <laughs> Everything happens for a reason. So that, you know, that's, that's something that uh, maybe even you've said on occasion. It's an inclination uh, that we have. And it's, uh, in Kate Bowler's treatment, of, you know, revealed to be less than comforting or helpful, really. To tell somebody who's been devastated by some sadness or fear uh, that everything happens for a reason is perhaps less than helpful. So... Uh, so the tagline of the title, and other lies that I have loved. So she's confessing, even in the title to her book, that even 
she herself has used this kind of train of thought. So the book deals with, you know, bad things happening to good people, with ideas of the Christian faith that uh, she, she's, part of her area of study has been the prosperity gospel. So this idea that you just God work wants, hard enough and yeah, do enough good things, good things happen. It's, a, it's about your behavior and, and eliciting the, the, yeah. the desired response from God by thinking the right way, praying the right way, worshiping the right way. Uh, and, and uh, the, the, of course, the, the underside of that is that if, if, you are, if you continue to be afflicted, you must not be doing your, your religion right. So those are three areas uh, that you may want to discuss, uh, but you might have something entirely different that you want to ask a question about. Uh, so uh, we always need you to be brave to crack the ice. We'll have Nick throw the timer up. Go ahead, Nick, uh, because to, time does to tend to get... Oh, yeah, we're going to read the text first. Stop so, the timer. Yeah, that's all right. This, this shouldn't count. So uh, <laughs> Natalia will read the, uh, the Ephesians two text because we could not possibly skip Ephesians chapter 2 which has the big Lutheran uh, uh, verses 8 and 9 uh, well, proclamation that, so there you go it's not even in there yeah oh isn't it no. oh okay so, so yeah doesn't. so in the second chapter we have for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing so that no one can boast it is the free gift of God uh, that that is the gem that is held within the second chapter, but the pericope for this morning uh, deal, uh, takes another chunk of that second chapter. So let's hear that. Pericope is fancy word for chunk of scripture. In case Thank you, you missed what that was, so I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> Ephesians two eleven to twenty two. So then, remember that at one time you Gentiles by birth, called the uncircumcised by those who are called the circumcised a physical circumcision made in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. In his flesh he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. Ooh. That is just so rich. I mean, there's, that book is really just so good. So I hope you are reading Ephesians as we spend these, 
I got a text this morning saying, tell Chad I read Ephesians this week. So there you go. It's just so good. (laughs) All right, so please uh, raise your hand and the microphone will be brought to you. The first one's always the hardest. Oh, yeah. There we go. We're ready right over here. Yes. Tap on the microphone. Let's see if it's on. On the front. There you go. Yeah, she got it. Good. Helen, nice and close. Okay. This is the question I have. Really close. Really close. Is that better? Yeah, much better. Thank you. you. All right. This refers to the sermon last week and the closing of the church. And given that in 20 years, which is kind of mind-blowing, that half of our churches will be gone, my question is, what do you think the Christian church is going to look like? I don't think it'll go away. I, I, didn't, I didn't hear that. What, what do you think the Christian church is going to oh, look like? Oh, what is like? the church going to look like? That's probably more of a discussion question, but it's kind of like... That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, that's... and to I mean, there are people who have devoted their... Thank you for that, by the way, and for getting us started. People who have devoted their entire scholastic career to studying uh, these issues. And I have yet to read or hear any of those real experts... uh, (laughs) say that they know what the church is going to look like. That anybody has a real good uh, inclination of what what's going to become of this expression of the Christian faith community. Um, other than to, to identify trends and to look back 20 and 40 and 60 years and to see how things have changed to bring us to where we are today. As we look forward 20 years, we know that uh, it's it's the, for one thing. We know there are going to be far fewer, you know, local worshiping communities than there are today. They seem to be clustering uh, in the in terms of numbers of uh, active church-going uh, people in into larger uh, uh, congregations, uh, mega churches. Uh, a, lot of, uh, uh, a lot of people are, uh, a lot of those churches are experiencing growth. So that expression of the local congregation uh, seems to have a, a different kind of uh, current reality than the larger church, which averages, I think the average worshiping uh, community is something around 40 people on a on a Sunday morning. The average size of a of a congregation in the country is under a hundred members. So, you know, I often uh, sort of feel like we, we we don't realize even here at Prince of Peace that we are well on the far side of what is an average size congregation in the country. But those churches. Um, are are disappearing at a, at a fast rate, and what is is something coming in and replacing them? There's a whole host of approaches. You know, the country continues as, as polled to say we are uh, actually predominantly Christian in our in our faith perspective as a percentage of the population, uh, uh, but but in terms of regular church attendance. Uh, connection to a local community of faith, a congregation, 
across the nation, those, those numbers are dwindling. So what's coming next? Um, I, I, you know, like it's, it's really difficult. I mean, think 20 to, years ago, uh, 1998. So just think for a second what was happening in 1998. There was not email yet. There was not, I mean, there's so much, so much stuff changes in 20 years, like 20 years, a lot can happen. And instead of being, I think our, our risk when the church is changing is to be like, okay, it's, it's changing, so I'm going to hold tighter to the way it sh- I think it should be. I'm going to hold it tight, and it needs to look like this one thing, right? It needs to look this way and have these components and be this thing. And that is a sure way to kill the church. Um, instead of moving, so if you, any of you had a grandparent like I did who refused to get on the email thing, she was like, I'm not going to learn this new technology, and she like totally refused. And we even got her like a simple email thing, and she was like, no, write me letters, and like just refused to get on board with what was happening. I mean, that she missed out on some things that, that could have happened in her life, connections she could have made with our family that, who refused to write letters. Just FYI, I wrote letters anyway. But, but just thinking of, you know, you can either hold tightly to the way things used to be, or you can say, well, I wonder what God is going to do with this. And we can be scared about declining numbers and what that means, or we can say, this just gives us an opportunity to really focus in on what our mission is and what we're supposed to do as the church and what our call is in the world. And just uh, a week and a half ago, Pastor Chad and I were sitting in his office talking about this very thing, and we were saying how, you know, some of the things we sort of value the most about church are actually not the things that that our denomination or our Christian reality asks us to hold on to. We are asked really to hold tightly to word and sacrament, and everything else could fall away, and it would still be church. So that is a hard pill to swallow if you have parts of the service that aren't word and sacrament that you find to be the reason you attend, right? Like if you're here for music and we say all you need to to really have church be church is word and sacrament, so communion, baptism, and the word of God preached, I mean, that is what church is. And and so we say, okay, how do we how do we do that? How do we do that well and how do we make that message the thing that we are known for? And then we're sent, right? So that's just a part of our we, we hold on to certain things so tightly that is not what's going to move us forward. And so I think I'm not scared. I'm, <laughs> I'm excited. I think every time um, somebody gets mad and leaves because we changed something that they held on to really tightly, I think it's either an opportunity for us to stand strong on things we believe in. So if somebody hypothetically leaves because I posted a thing about blessed Ramadan to our Muslim neighbors on our church sign and somebody leaves because of that, I think we are, I'm okay. I'm okay if they're not okay with that because, again, we're going to choose on this is word of God and sacrament and I believe in love first and so we're going to just push forward with that. And if somebody doesn't want to be here for that, that's their choice. I hope they find a community that they can worship in. I'm okay that that's not ours and we will continue to move forward in faith, trusting that God goes with us. And I don't find that scary. I find that empowering and beautiful and walking forward, just trusting that God's going to meet us. God has never left the church, uh, and I trust that God will continue to stay with the church in whatever it looks like next. The church has changed 
a lot over time, over its existence, and uh, God continues to go with it, and I think we just keep looking for where God is moving us and working with us, and we keep having conversations and pushing each other and asking. I mean, Nate's kind of a weird guy, you guys know this, but one of the things I value most about him is that he didn't grow up Lutheran, and so most often at meetings we have, he is the one that asks, why do we do it that way? And that's a valuable perspective to have in the church, to have somebody say, why, why do we do it like this? Why is, why is this a thing we do? And to make us think critically about, is this something we're holding on to for the sake of holding on to it? Or is it, does it fit in our category of essential for church to be church? That's, those are hard questions, but that is how we will move forward in the new kind of reality that we find ourselves in. So, you know, just related to... <laughs> Pastor and Natalia's thoughts. I, I want to say that I don't think it's got much to do with um, us changing thing or, 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 you know, we used to sing this song, now we don't, or the liturgy used to be this way, now it's that way. I don't think this whole meta trend of decline really is related to that at, much at all. I, uh, what, I, what I want to say is the question for us, for me, uh, going forward is, and I've asked this from the moment I started in the ordained ministry till now. Is it still worth the effort and time and resources to be the gathered community in this place? You know, and every time we come together around this gospel, and this gospel rings out clearly, and it impacts people's lives, and it comforts and troubles and inspires and forgives and claims and raises from the dead, I say, where else are you going to get this? I don't care how you package it or what room you gather in, uh, but where else are you going to get this? Some, I mean, we experience it all the time, the very presence of Christ through the, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that calls us together. And we hear this gospel proclaimed, and we feel it, and we are sent out, and we, and we do what we can to make the world a better place. You tell me, if not the local church, where else this is going to happen. And I continue to believe that it is as relevant, life-changing, inspiring, uh, and meaningful today as it ever was. As it ever was, maybe more so in some ways. So this culture in which we now find ourselves a sort of peculiar minority uh, group of people doing this thing of getting together on a regular basis around this word, uh, it's more about this cherished gospel message and our proclamation and our and and our experience of it than it is any you know well you know we said this about this group or we we changed you know there those those were all in-house battles that we could afford to have while the churches were just filled with people because it was the culturally thing a culturally sort of acceptable thing to do the question wasn't 25 years ago wasn't do you go to church? The question was, where do you go to church, right? So that's that game's over. Uh, and so the question for us going forward is, is it still worth it? Is it still worth all the effort? Do I still need to go to, you know, council meetings and exec team meetings and budget meetings and fret over stewardship campaigns and, and uh, you know, HVAC systems and, and visitation and, you know, staff and all that stuff is it or should I just 
go do something else? And for me, the answer to that question, week after week, Sunday after Sunday, uh, when, when I leave this place after we've worshipped together, is where else are you going to get that? And if somebody knows, come and tell me, because <laughs> I sure don't. It's here. And it's not only worth my time, my effort, and my resources. I think it's worth me telling other people about it. You should, you should come over here. You should be a part of this. I had a friend tell me uh, a couple weeks ago, she's like, at your church was the first time someone ever told me God loves me. And I was just like, what? <laughs> what? And she said, yeah, I... It wasn't, she grew up in the church, she grew up in the church, but it was the first time she'd ever heard the phrase, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, just as you are, just as you are. She was like, I'd never heard that before. Yeah, I, your, your faces right now is my face when she said that to me, that, that this message is so needed, is so needed, uh, and to assume people are, are hearing it uh, is, is the wrong Assumption. Uh, people need to hear this, and, and what it does to you when you hear that is what the person next to you also needs to hear, and what somebody in your office. And we're scared because we don't want to seem preachy and all this stuff, but also to be like, you know, I need a place. I need a place where I'm told I'm loved unconditionally because I'm not getting that anywhere else than here, which is true. And I think that's, again, that's how we that we gather around that preached word and. To get to see the sacraments, to experience the sacraments, to to watch babies be baptized, to participate in their baptisms, to say to that family, "You're not alone in this. We're with you." To hold out your hands and and be reminded of what the love of God means to you. Those are, oof. I mean, that's 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 the stuff. Well, it looks like we're going to get through two questions today. So no, there's some <laughs> um, more back here. I would go back. She had her hand up. Sorry. Um, she had her hand up first. Yep, yep, in the glasses, in the back corner. Yep, there you go. You're good. Nice thank and you. close. There you go. I want to thank you for welcoming our family the way you do every Sunday. And we, um, since we've been coming about a year now, um, we love this church. So my question is, why in other Lutheran churches aren't we welcomed to communion? Um, I love that, excuse me, on communion days, you tell us that we can come, no matter who you are, what race, what religion, whatever, we are welcomed to join you at the table. The thing that happened to my mother, she went to another church, and she was able to meet the pastor. And as he shook her hand, he asked her which synod she belonged to. And when she told him she was not a part of that particular senate, he said, you will not join us at the table today. You stay back. All right, if this happens in the church, I can see why this decline is going to happen. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, again, all your audible reactions to that, to that is it makes me feel good like maybe we're we're doing okay here uh but yeah i mean i think we we like to create walls and we like to create rules and i feel like 
um, scripture and our theology tells us over and over again that God's just breaking down walls and, you know, there are sort of rules that say, you know, they want to make sure it's, I understand why it happens. People are trying to make sure that there is an understanding or there's a, you know, that people know what they're receiving when they come forward or they're, you know, they're trying to protect something that they feel is holy. And I can't fault a community for doing that. I, I don't agree with it, but I, I can understand it. Um, however, I feel like I've said this before, even maybe from this very chair, where I, I don't feel like it's my job to make that decision for somebody. If somebody, and, and that's why if a little kid who has definitely not gone through our communion class comes forward and holds their hands out, I'm not going to be like, you're not old enough. I'm just like, here you go. I mean, that's because if you feel that something in you makes you hold your hands out, then I'm like, great. Let God go to town. And and I I think that's how, I feel like that's how God acts in the world, and so I want to just be a reflection of how I believe God acts in the world. I I. I don't agree with other churches doing it differently, but I can. They're trying to protect something they think is holy. I also think it's holy, but I think it's for everyone, <laughs> and it's kind of God's choice. I don't know. You have a. You know, it is ironically one of the, with all the sort of ecumenical agreements and sort of blending together from various faith traditions, including cross-denominational uh, affiliations. Uh, it, it continues to be an, an area that sort of remains a, a division between uh, churches. Um, I've shared the story that when years ago I did the funeral, I preached at the funeral for Lori's grandpa, and it was in New Prague at uh, St. Wenceslas, the big Catholic church that's in the middle of town. And you know, I always felt like, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a lovely service and it was personal because, you know, uh, I was able to share personally in the homily, you know, my experience of grandpa. And it was a lovely service and then it was a, it was a mass, so there was communion, uh, the Eucharist. And then I thought, well, this just feels sort of creepy. I mean, I had my clerical collar on and I was the preacher and now I'm going to not commune with all my extended Catholic family because I'm not supposed to as a Lutheran. So I just got in line probably behind Lori and I thought to myself, either poor father, who who was it? Do you remember? I don't know. It wasn't Father John, but whoever the priest was that day, great guy. He definitely knows I'm not Catholic, so either he's <laughs> either he's going to somehow just wave me off, and the whole extended family is going to go, "Whoa, that's not right somehow," and, and so we're going to have that moment, or he's going to commune me. Uh, he's just going to give me the body of Christ, and, and then everybody's going to go, "This is the way it should be." So maybe Grandpa's funeral isn't the time to make this kind of stand, but that's. <laughs> That's where I did it. And so, you know, I held out my hands and looked him in the eye, and he saw me coming, and he said, body of Christ given for you, as he, uh, you know, as I believe he should have. And, uh, you know, this goes all the way back to the time of the Reformation. There were lots of arguments around who should uh, 
commune together, and Luther is said to have slammed his fist on the table and said, it is enough that we agree that Christ is truly present uh, in order for us to commune together. So, if as uh, ELCA Lutherans we are going to err on one side or the other, we always err on the side of grace and welcome. Uh, And if we need to sort that out in eternity, I'm... That's way down the list of stuff I'm gonna I'm gonna be feeling a little bit sheepish about at that moment, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you yeah. communed a Methodist, you know. Like I'm pretty sure there's sins of mine that are higher on the list <laughs> if that's one of them. A good question. Thanks yeah, for sharing thank that. Others? Oh, we met. We need an extender. We started late, so let's give ourselves another five minutes. Yeah. Anyone? Yes. Yes, I'd like to know, uh, given the uh, political climate today and with uh, the influx of Somalis in the community, how do you explain to a member of the uh, Islam faith your standing as a Christian and... uh, convince them that uh, not all roads lead to heaven, but Jesus Christ does. Yeah, that's a fun question. Are, are you, did you get it all out? I didn't mean to jump in, but. I think so. <laughs> it's just that I have a lot of friends that love to uh, talk about politics and the church. And I just wondered how... Uh, I guess I'm lucky because I was raised in this church and I came back to this church and because I was a member of the military I've seen a lot of things that maybe I shouldn't have but because of the fact that uh, Jesus Christ has always been my base and I'm glad to be back at this church um, I just wondered how the church overview would look at and convince um, someone of the Islamic faith that uh, they're welcome here, but at the same time point out the differences without being judgmental, because Jesus Christ is the only one that has the right to judge. So you answered your own question, but I'll, I'll <laughs> first let me just start by saying thank you for your service. Uh, thank you for your question as well. Um, you know, it's difficult to speak about groups of people in the abstract. I always prefer to have the person we are hypothetically speaking of in front of me. And if I had, a few weeks ago we had representatives of CARE Minnesota here. Uh, and so in that case, we had a Muslim man here with us fielding questions. And if, if, the, if, if your question would have been... Uh, what do you have to say to this guy about the Christian faith related to his uh, Muslim faith? And what do you need to convince him of as a Christian person? What, uh, he is a Muslim person. What do you feel like you need to convince him of? Um, I, don't, I don't feel compelled to convince him or anybody for that matter of anything. I don't mean to be flippant, but that is the honest truth. Mm-hmm. I am not 
ever trying to convince people that they should uh, do anything. I am a proclaimer of good news. It's gospel, which means good news, which means the best I can do is share it with you. It's news that I've come to tell you about. So what do I have to say to that Muslim gentleman uh, if he were to ask me, what do, you know, what do you have to say uh, to me as a Muslim about your Christian faith? I would say, you know, in a nutshell, if you will, uh, we can go back to this Ephesians text. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, so that no one can boast about it or brag about it, but it is the free gift of God. I believe that this gift is as much for you as it is for me. I believe that in Christ, God has sent me to tell you, I love you, I cherish you, I created you, I believe in you. Uh, I am not going to toss you into some burning cauldron lake of fire at the, for, to suffer for all eternity because you happen not to have been born into a family that attended uh, Prince of Peace Lutheran Church, but you were born in Somalia, to take your example, and you were steeped in the traditions of the Muslim faith. Uh, there is not a fiber or cell in my being that thinks that those realities put that man in some sort of eternal mortal risk any more than I believe that, that coincidence of my birth has somehow secured my eternal salvation. I have as much to do with my own salvation as the air that I breathe. Uh, it was a gift given to me uh, it was a it was good news that somehow got through to me along the way, and at times I embrace it and live it out, and you could tell by looking at me I believe it, and at other times, if I were to tell you I am a follower of Jesus, you would say, "Holy cow uh, i I had no idea uh, you know in both of those moments, I am equally as secure in the heart of God, all right. What I have to say to the Muslim, what I need to convince him of is not to drop his faith and accept mine. It is that in God, in Christ, God loves you as much as God loves me. If you're looking for the next step, something that I think that guy needs to do to trip uh, the circuit so that he's saved and not in mortal danger, I don't think there is one. I think it's a bunch of nonsense that people are running around trying to scare people onto this other path I think they should be on. I am a bearer of good news. As soon as I add some uh, action or some condition, thank you, Nate. As soon as I add some condition to that good news, it's not good news anymore. It's it's something I've come to convince you of. It's a. It, and the word convince, uh, I mean, that's a. It, it's an implied judgment right away. If you're trying to convince someone of something, that means you, you've already placed yourself and them as, as others, as opposites, as, you know, you're there, I'm here, I'm saved, you're not, so I'm going to convince you of something I believe because I think I'm right, right? And that's just in and, in and of itself. So 
to remove this idea that we need to convince people. I think that eliminate the word from your vocabulary because it doesn't imply a judgment. I think for me, in conversations I've had with uh, plenty of Muslims in my own life, is a reminder, just a simple reminder of myself that we believe in the same God. We believe in the same God. And if nothing else gets through you, we believe in the same God. So our stories connect in the person of Abraham and they diverge after that, but we believe in the same God. The God of Abraham is our God and also the God of people who are Muslim. And that is an important thing to remember. Um, that we we are not that different, and we like to look at somebody and be like, oh, they look different than me, and they they believe something different than me, so they must be very different. And we are we are not as different as as maybe society would like us to believe. But right? I, but but what I want to say is, even if we were entirely different, right. I traipse around Africa where I run into <laughs> witch doctors and people with really weird religious indigenous belief systems, and I. Could not. I don't know what god they worship. It's a tree or a or a or a planet or something. To that person, I am not there to convince you to believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am not there to convince you of anything. If I can speak to this person in some sort of way, I'm going to say, in this person of Jesus Christ, I believe that God loves you the same way that God loves me. So I'm going to need a translator and some help telling this person. And if that led to something else, and then they said, uh, what, you know, well, here's some water. What's to keep me from being baptized? I would say, nothing, let's do it. And, and then I would leave. And, and you might say, but the guy still thinks that that tree is his God. And I'm like, well, I, maybe, but I, that's... Not my concern. I just have this good news, and I had an opportunity to share it with that person. And that good news never changes. I don't care how similar we are in our belief systems or how wildly different we might be. That good news is that in... And it's not the same thing as saying, hey, you're all okay, we're all saved, all roads lead to heaven. It's, it's not the same thing to say that. I don't have that. That's not my message either. My message only is... I only have this little... There's a little thing to say. And that thing is, in the person of Jesus Christ, I believe that God has revealed to us that God loves us. And to you specifically, God has sent me to say, I love you, forgive you, claim you in the person of Christ. Now that person um, may, you know, drop everything and join the Lutheran church and that's great, but they... Probably won't, right? But that was never what I was there to do. Convince them to yeah. get on my path with me. What's the end game, right? If your end game is yeah. is membership, then then your message is different, right? If your end game is I want them to become a Prince of Peace member or a Lutheran, your the way you talk about it changes. But if you just want to share you just want to share you're loved and here's how I know you're loved because because Jesus showed us how much God loves us. Okay. I've argued late into the night. I have an old friend who's a his mother was Catholic and his father is a Buddhist. He grew up in Hungary. Uh, and we've argued late into the night about our different sort of faith dogmas. 
And he started this argument with me way years before I ever went to seminary and I was ill-equipped to, <laughs> to engage with him. But years later, I was with him and late into the night. And what had always come back around to with me was, I don't, I'm not here to win this argument with you. I'm telling you that in Christ, God loves you as much as God loves me. And he, he just, it really bugged him. That's what I kept saying. Because he wasn't going to embrace it. I'm not, I'm not sure I believe it. And I, you know, again, not to be flippant, I, I would say I don't care. I didn't come to convince you of it. I just came to announce it to you, to proclaim it to you. It's good news. In spite of yourself, God loves you and Christ claims you. And how did that happen? How do I know that's true? Because I just told you. That's how it happens. This is the, this is the gospel treasure that we all walk around with. Not just ordained clergy, but every one of us. How does someone hear of it? That's why I say I like the person in the room with me. Because to speak of people in the abstract, I don't say anything about groups of people, but to the person that's in uh, earshot of what I have to say, to that person I say, in Christ God loves you, claims you, forgives you. And you don't need a seminary education to do that. You know, I, that's, that's the, you know, you might feel like ill-equipped, like Chad said he was when he first started conversing with his friend, but I mean, you have, you have the opportunity to just share, here's what, here's what the love of God feels like to me. That's, that's a good it's a good start. It's you know the gospel is personal uh, before it's universal. You, you have to you feel it and you want to share that. Like this is how this is how I've experienced God. This is what I. I mean I just love that. Point out God. You point out God, but it starts with you. This is how I felt God. This is where I saw God. This is how I experienced God. That's a great place to start if you're feeling like I'm ill-equipped to share about the gospel because that feels like a big huge task right to share the good news well it's personal first and so I think that's an an easier place to start before you think like I have to go to seminary Um, which go for it but also uh, you don't have to (laughs) in order to be able to share this so that kind of brings us back around to where we started what which which is this sort of precious um nature of this good news of this gospel and the value of gathering around it and and being i mean this is a gift uh, given to the church to share with the world and and i uh, i sort of end where we started i i continue to believe that a church can be on fire for that gospel message and that message is something that the world is is thirsty for and needs to hear and wants to hear and and can be invited into a community that gathers around that that good news. Uh, I I I you know I don't I can't tell you what the church uh, of the future is going to look like, but I can tell you that right now this church, this community of faith, uh, it resonates with that good news in a way that makes it all worth it. All of all of it and all of the its messiness and. And, uh, you know, difficulties and challenges, it's all worth it. And I look out at you and I know the impact that you all have in, in your own lives and in the community. Uh, and I just think, what a, what a blessing to be a part of it. So thank you for this morning. Thank you for this discussion.
there's going to be a group who's going to uh, continue over at Mad Jacks, which has reopened after worship. So uh, those of you who maybe aren't participating in the uh, uh, book discussion, if you want to migrate over there, some of us... you can do both. You can do both. Yeah, you can do both. Go from one to the other, but uh, continue. If you have questions, you want to, uh, I'll go over there. And if you have questions you didn't get to here, but thank you. You can see how quickly the time goes when we do this. So thanks again for being flexible enough. Uh, and we'll just sort of continue. Yeah. Continue with the prayers, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we'll stand together for the prayers of the people. to feed the hungry, stand beside the broken. We must go stepping forward. Keep us from just singing. Keep us into action. We must go. We must go. Live to feed the hungry. Stand beside the broken. We must go. Stepping 